The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Have your Bibles or your apps, would you turn them on or open them to Galatians, the first chapter, Galatians chapter 1. We continue our study in Galatians together. Uh, before I do that, a word of thanks to those of you who are helping in our children's ministry. We have need of over folks per week to serve in that area, and uh, you filled all those slots. We're grateful for that. We could use some folks to help with the check-in to get that many folks checked in just before each hour. Uh, so if you're willing to give 15 minutes uh, the week that you're here, weeks that you're here, uh, we could certainly use some help doing that. Just email Casey Burke, our family pastor, or see one of the ladies on staff with us back there. Uh, that's not supposed to be there. Um, we're rocking the LSU shorts yesterday, UMHB shorts, actually. I, I told my family, we got all our kids with us, I said, if we win, I'm going to wear that to church Sunday, and they nixed the whole thing. And I said, eh, I think they look pretty cool, but uh, anyway, that's not going to happen. So if they win the national championship, I'll wear those up there. So that's a safe bet. It'll never happen. I, I, I spoke to a corporate gathering on Monday morning uh, in San Antonio, uh, so I went there after church last Sunday. and. I told him when I was first diagnosed with uh, this disease I have, I, I said, Lord, would you uh, allow me to live until I see LSU won a national championship? So I said, I've probably got another 20 to 25 years with that. And I said, I've changed that to let me live until the Cowboys see a Super Bowl, so I'll live another 100 years after that. So. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, until Jerry Jones sells a team or something like that, right? We are looking at a uh, series we're calling One because there is one gospel and there is one church. That's the body of Christ. And uh, Paul is defending that. He's writing about that. And if you were with us last week, we kicked off Galatians. And this week is uh, kind of a recapitulation and looking at uh, some of the stuff that Paul said once again as he talks about his story. So let's pray one more time. Father, I'm grateful to be here with these friends, and uh, most importantly, I'm grateful for the salvation you've called us to, grateful for our Savior. God, would you teach us this morning? Would you, as we open the Word together, Spirit of God, um, speak the things that need to be spoken through me, to me, and to these, my dear friends? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Verse 11 of chapter 1, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it or received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you had heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my father's traditions. But when he who set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, that, in, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Father, as we open the word now, you have met us here in worship. You have met us at the table. And now, would you teach us from your word in the name of Jesus? Amen. I've learned more about cancer in the last three and a half years than I ever really wanted to know. I know it destroys and kills if it's untreated and if it spreads, so it must be stopped and it must be destroyed if you're diagnosed with it. Paul has diagnosed a cancer within the church of Galatia. Galatia is a region, there are numerous churches there, and within the churches of Galatia he says there's a cancer that's destroying the body. 
There's a cancer being taught by some false teachers, and the cancer is doing two things. First of all, they're adding to the gospel. In fact, if you look at the end of chapter 1, verse 6, he calls it a different gospel. He says they're preaching to you a different gospel. What they're saying is Christ is not enough. You need to have Christ plus keeping the Judaistic, the Mosaic law. It's Christ plus. And then he also says, uh, I know you're attacking me, the messenger of the gospel, because if you can discredit me, then you can discredit my message. And so Galatians is a book in which Paul defends the gospel and defends his apostleship. And so as, as we watch this book unfold, especially last week and this week, it's going to be a lot about Paul defending himself and defending the gospel, and then we'll vary into some other places. Next week, if you're with us, we're going to see Paul standing up to Peter in a major conflict. So there's a cancer spreading through the churches of Galatia. This cancer has to be stopped or it's going to destroy and kill the body, the body of Christ, because the gospel itself and the implications of the gospel are being destroyed. The implications are the unity in the body. And so there are those saying Christ is enough. There are those saying, no, it's Christ plus something else. In fact, it became so insidious within the church that Peter quit eating with the guys saying Christ is enough. That's the confrontation that's going to take place next week. And so what we're seeing here, if you were with us last week, we're talking about how difficult this was. Because Jews and Gentiles lived separate lives. They lived in separate places. They didn't uh, commingle much. They they weren't together much. In fact, the, the Gentiles were invited to worship with the Jews in the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles. But, but there was also a sign that was placed, in an inscription and placed on a stone that said, foreigners do not go past this balustrade. If you do, you're responsible for your own death. How's that for welcoming somebody into your worship service? You cross this line, you die. And now all of a sudden, these barriers come down. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul writes about this barrier, this wall must come down. And in Galatians, he says, if we preach a different gospel, if there are two different gospels, there's not unity in the church, there's, there's disharmony in the church, and there's a problem. So there's one gospel, there's one body, there's really one story. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The one gospel, the one body, the one story. So we've got Jew and Gentile now coming together. They're to worship in the same room where before it said, if you cross this line, you die. They're to eat the same meals, whereas before they would never do that because the Jewish meals had to be kosher. And now Gentiles are bringing pork chops and ham sandwiches to the potluck dinner to the dismay of their Jewish brothers. And they're also told now their kids can intermarry, and for a long time they knew that was not possible and was not right. And so now all these things have come down for a reason. It's because they are now new creations in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. They now serve a new king. They're under a new, in a new kingdom, and this king is King Jesus, and the kingdom is his kingdom. But the false teachers are invading the body of Christ. They're spreading a cancer, if you will. And what they're doing is they're not denying that Christ is the Messiah, not denying he's the king, not denying he's a savior. But what they're saying is, if you're a Gentile and you come to faith, not only do you have to have faith in Christ, but you have to keep the Jewish law. You have to go and get circumcised. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to keep the dietary laws. You have to follow the Mosaic traditions as well as have faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is not enough. In fact, you were with us last week. I said, uh, it's kind of like uh, if you go to Sam's where I go and get gas and there are three buttons there you choose from and you can get regular, you can get uh, unleaded plus or you can get unleaded plus plus. And they're saying uh, the regular unleaded is not enough. That's what I get because I'm cheap. I always get that. And uh, so they're saying that's not good enough. You have to have unleaded plus or unleaded plus plus. Somebody sent me an email this week and said, you need to go look at the pumps at Sam's. And I said, what are you talking about? 
And I said, there are only two things there, not three things. So I stand corrected today before you, humbled and wrong. <laughs> I went to Sam's, got gas. There are only two things there. There's only, there's only regular unleaded and plus unleaded. And I still get the regular unleaded because I'm cheap and that's all I'm going to buy. <laughs> and what Paul's saying is it's not faith plus anything. It's faith in Christ alone. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He calls it a gospel of grace. In, in fact, the word gospel appears five times in six verses. If, if you begin looking at the passage that's in front of us and you backtrack to what we looked at last week, we find the very word gospel occurs five times in six verses. From verses 6 through 11, that's 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, if my math is correct, in those six verses, the word gospel appears five times. The word gospel means good news. We're going to talk about that in a second. So what Paul is saying is, is a very personal passage. From chapter 1, verse 11, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, Paul gets very personal. And he says, I want you to know the message that is the gospel and the messenger, that's me, are both credible. Let me show you why you should believe them. Let me show you why you can trust me. And let me show you why the message of the gospel is credible. And so Paul goes on a defense, if you will, and he reminds him, first of all, hey, I used to be an attacker of the church. This is who I used to be. I, I want you to go back and remember who I used to be. He begins, first of all, by talking about how he receives the gospel. Look at verse 11. He says, I, I would have you know, brethren, he calls them brothers. So these are people who are purported believers, and perhaps they are. I mean, he calls them that. That the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So in verse 11, he says, the gospel message I preach is not devised by man. And then first portion of verse 12, he says, the gospel message I preach is not received from man. It's not devised by man, verse 11. It's not received by man, verse 12. At the end of verse 12, this gospel message was divinely revealed to me. And so in those two verses, what Paul is saying, this is not something man gave to me. This is something God gave to me. If you were with us last week, we talked about how Paul was persecuting believers. He's going to talk about that in a second. He's walking the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. Uh, he is struck blind. He hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ whom you persecute. And uh, Paul goes to the guy's house named Ananias in Damascus. And there the scales are removed from his eyes and he becomes a follower of Jesus. Miraculous things happen. And, and so write down Acts chapter 9, read it later in your notes. So Paul is saying the good news of the gospel that I received did not come from man. This gospel of grace I'm talking about is not something I earned, not something I bought, not something I was good enough for, not something I was religious enough for, but it was a gift given to me by God. Let me stop there for a second. Last week we talked about this gift. In fact, there are several times in this book, seven times in the book where the word grace is mentioned. The word grace means a gift. If I were to give you a gift, you can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't work for it. It's something that's given to you. And so what Paul's saying is, I was given this gift. No, that goes against our culture. It goes against our nature. It goes against everything that's American. Because we know if something is worth working for, it's worth having. If it's free, it's deceptive probably, and it's not good. I mean, how many of you get an envelope in the mail and say, you have won $60 billion. You go out and spend that money because you know you've actually won it. I, I mean, you, you know you haven't won that. How many of you have answered the email to the Nigerian prince who wants only $5,000 a year? <laughs> I mean, we all get those emails. See, we know if it's free, it's not worth having. 
And he's saying the gospel is free. The salvation is free. Now, it came at a high cost, but it's free to you. The cost was the death of God's only son. In fact, if you look at what he says in the earlier verses, he says in verse 4, Jesus, who gave himself up for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present age. It was a costly gospel, but it's free to us. See, most people in our world think this. Most of the people living in your neighborhood, most of the men and women you work with, most of the people that are part of your family, most of them really think God grades on a curve. I mean, that's what we think. If we're better than other people, if we're better than everybody else, then we're going to be in. And if not, then we're not going to make it. I mean, we've never been to Gatesville. We've never been in prison. So we're better than other people. So God's going to accept us and we'll be in his heaven. Or certainly if the good works of our life outweigh the bad works, the good works over here, the good things we do, then we're going to be in heaven. Certainly if I'm religious enough, if I do enough good things, if I honor God with my life and I go to Bible studies and I go to church and I give money and I serve in the nursery or whatever it might be, then certainly all these good things will outweigh the bad things and I'm in heaven. That's the theology of the street. That's what most people believe. And you say, Gary, is that true? Yeah, it is. Uh, these two men are some of the greatest uh, businessmen of our generation. You know who they are? Warren Buffett, Jack Welch. When Warren Buffett went in with Bill Gates to form the foundation, giving billions of dollars away, and it's a great thing that they're doing. Don't misinterpret it. It's a great thing they're doing. To give billions of dollars of your money away, and somebody's saying, oh, if I had a billion dollars, I'd give, you know. No, you wouldn't. There are people who've had money before and haven't given away. They've done a great thing. But here's where the theology of the day comes in. At the press conference, when they announced this, Buffett uh, spoke, and he said, uh, after announcing that they would have this foundation, he said, there's more than one way to get to heaven. But this is a great way. Giving my money away, doing this good work. Buffett says, there are a number of ways to heaven. This is a great way. Now, I would say they're doing a great thing. You've got to say that. I mean, they, they are doing tremendous things with the money God's given them. But it's not going to get them to heaven. But that's the theology of the street. That's the theology of the day. That's the theology probably some of you believe. Jack Welch, CEO of General Electric, great man, great leader. He was being interviewed by Dan Rather on 60 Minutes. And in that interview, uh, Welch was asked this question, do you think you'll go to heaven? And Welch replied this way, if caring about people, if giving it your all, if being a great friend counts, despite the fact that I've been divorced a few times, and no one's proud of that, and I haven't done everything right, I think I've got a shot. I think I'll be there in the end. Do you hear what Welch is saying? Hey, I'm not all that bad. I've messed up a few times. But overall, I'm a pretty good guy. I've done good things. And so in the end, everything's going to be okay. Now, I admire these guys. They are great leaders of industry. I I respect both of these men for what they've done in our nation, the people they've employed, and and the way they have handled themselves as businessmen. But theologically, they're an error. Because if they're depending on giving their money away and being kind people to spend eternity in the presence of Christ, they're never going to make it. Same thing for you. Same thing for me. And Paul says, that's who I was. I was zealous. Look at the next verses. Look at verses 13 and 14. He he says, even more, you heard of my former manner of life. I'm listening to Matt Chandler from the Village Church and Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian New York City as they preach through Galatians. As I study, I'm listening to those guys. Both those guys entitled their sermon in this section, The Former Life, The Former Life. 
And Paul says, hey, I I want you to know, in my former life of Judaism, I used to persecute the church beyond measure. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my contemporaries, all my countrymen. I was extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He says, I was doing a lot of good stuff. He he says, I I was was a a leader among the Jewish people. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he puts it this way. He, He says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone could put their confidence in the flesh, I have great reason to do so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecute the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Paul said, I did everything right. I I was a leader in Judaism. I was climbing to the top of the ladder. I was advancing faster than everybody else. I was a religious man. He said, look look at that last statement. As for righteousness based on the law, that is, it's keeping the law. I was faultless. That means I didn't do anything wrong. My first thought is, Paul, you're pretty full of yourself is what you are. You didn't break the law? Really? Really? I mean, who would dare say that? Who would dare say they didn't break the law? But Paul says, hey, I want you to know I kept it. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was a religious man. I was religious. Religion and good works will never get you in the presence of God. You know why? The scriptures say if you fail in one part of the law, you failed in all of it. If you sin one time, anybody here say you've never sinned before? Would you raise your hand? You've just sinned because you lied, so now you're caught. I mean, who would dare say that? I mean, there really are two ways to heaven. There's the way of perfection. The way of perfection. If you never sin, then you're holy and you'll be in the presence of God. But the scriptures say nobody does that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Greek word for all means what? Yeah, all. All. My precious little granddaughter who's going to be here next hour. They're here for the weekend. That's why I'm bleary-eyed right now. Got 18 people in our house. Nine of them are kids. Like, it's a pinball game in my house right now. Bam, bam, bam. I grilled enough food to feed six armies last night. But even precious little Emerson, five years old, is a sinner. I took her by the face and said, Emerson, you're just a little sinner. I'm going to say that tomorrow. No, I didn't. (laughs) Papa Doe? Paul is saying, you know what? The only way The only true gospel is not based on the things we do. I did everything right, but it's based on Jesus. Hey, I was an attacker of the church. I tried to destroy the church. You see what it says at the end of verse 13? I tried to destroy the church. That's a word that is used of ravaging a city by soldiers. It's what UMHB did to Linfield yesterday, right? From our crusaders over there. There you go. I I mean, just destroyed them, blew them up. Paul said, I was a man who was trusting in externally based things rather than the goodness of God. Let me stop for a second. Some of you think I'm too bad to ever come to Christ. Pastor, if you knew the things I did or the things I do, God could never accept me. Oh, yeah, he can. uh, Look at Paul. He said, I was persecuting the church and seeking to destroy it. Paul saying, hey, I want you to know if God can save me, he can save anybody. If God can woo me to himself, he can woo anybody. I was climbing to the heights of Judaism and God pulled me away from that and brought me to Jesus. And so if you think you're too bad to be saved, doesn't happen. 
Now, Paul's pretty self-righteous here too. So if you think you're too good and don't need a Savior, you need to read these verses. See, there are people in our world, they think, well, I, I am so bad, I, I, there's no way God would have me. And they're just thinking, bad? Who are you talking about? I'm not bad. Henry David Thoreau was asked by his aunt, uh, Henry, or, or, or they called him David, I said, David, have you made, made peace with God? And his statement to his aunt was, I didn't know God and I were enemies. Peace with God? Why don't you make peace with God? I'm okay. And the reality of it is, the reality is God takes the worst and he takes the most self-righteous, judgmental person in here and says, let me tell you about my son that I sent for you. So what Paul is saying here is, you don't think I'm credible. I want you to know the message I preach, I didn't get from man. The message I preach was a revelation from Jesus, verse 12. The message I preach changed my life. Just look at my life. I, I want you to know the message I preached changed me. John Piper says this, we are saved not by what we do, but we're saved by trusting in what Christ has done. That's salvation, not what you do. If you come, invite all of you to join us uh, Sunday, October 2nd. We're going to do baptism after third hour. We've been interviewing baptismal folks. We've got over three dozen people being baptized. Amen? Say glory, hallelujah, three dozen people being baptized. And we're going to go back behind that new building, and there's a beautiful baptismal out there, and we're going to baptize folks. And you, you know what they're going to say? First lady's going to get there and say, I want you to know, Gary teases about serving in the nursery. I've been serving in the nursery for 16 years, so I've got salvation. And the next guy's going to say, hey, I'm a 132nd degree mason. I've been doing a lot of good work, so... And the next guy's going to say, hey, I want you to know, I gave a lot of money for this new building over here. You think anybody's going to say that? You know what they're going to say? You're going to hear testimonies. Hey, I heard a message about Jesus, and I trusted in him, and he changed my life. Or I, my, my friend, I, I met one of our friends this week. He gave me his testimony. My wife passed away. A man in his 40s passed away four years ago, and someone drugged me to Temple Bible Church kicking and screaming, and I met Jesus sitting in that audience one Sunday. And I'm trying to raise two teenage kids. And I, I know I trust him, and I know I've got a long way to go, but he's my Savior now. That's one of the testimonies you're going to hear. See, nobody's going to get up there and say, hey, let me tell you what I've done. We're going to say, let me tell you what Jesus has done, because it's about him and not about us. Amen? And so Paul says, hey, I, I want you to know that uh, I, I was an attacker of the church, and I've changed, and now I'm an apostle of the church. If you look at verses 15 and 16, these are verses loaded with theological truth. Paul says in verse 15, but, and I've circled that in my Bible, but when he who had set me apart, who set, who, who set Paul apart? God did. When did he set him apart? Even from my mother's womb. He said, even in my mother's womb, God set me apart. What was he set apart to do? To preach to the Gentiles. Look at verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach to the Gentiles. How was Paul set apart? He was called. Look at the end of verse 15. He called me through his grace. He was pleased. So when I look at that, I say, what pleases God? What pleases God as people who respond to the effectual call of salvation? God calls us to himself. What did Paul do to receive the salvation? Nothing. He calls it grace. It's a gift given to him. So he says, I want you to know I was set apart 
before my mother's womb, I was called by God to go and be a preacher to the Gentiles. That's a lot of theological truth in one verse. God's the one who calls us. God's the one who woos us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes it this way, for those whom he foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those that he called, he justified. Those that he justified, he glorified. I'm focusing on the word called here. Those that he called, he justified. So when he calls you, justified means to declare you innocent before God. He declares you innocent before God at the point of your salvation. Not only does he forgive you of your sins, but scriptures or theologian tells he imputes to you his righteousness. That means at the moment of your salvation, not only are you forgiven of your sins, but your right standing, the righteousness of Christ is placed in you. He is pleased with you forever. And therefore, now when you serve him, you don't serve him because you've got to, you serve him because you want to. You don't serve him because these are things I've got to do. You serve him because how can I not do it for him who's done so much for me? And Paul says, I want you to know that I'm apostle. By the way, these are prophetic words. These are words that used of prophets before I formed you in the mother's womb. Same thing was said of Jeremiah. Same thing is said in the book of Isaiah. And so Paul's saying, I want you to know I'm an apostle. I am a prophet to the Gentiles. It's kind of strange to me, to be honest with you, as I was reflecting on this. If I were God, and I had a guy like Paul, with the credentials he had, and he came to faith, you know where I'd send him? Back to the Jews. I mean, think about it for a second. He's rising above everybody else. He is the rising star. He's educated in their system. He knows everything about him. He is one of them. He says, I'm advancing faster than my countrymen. He grew up among the Jews. Who better to send to them than one of their own, one of their leaders. But what does God do? God takes a Jewish Pharisee and says, hey, those Gentiles you can't stand, those Gentiles you don't want to eat with, those Gentiles you walk on the other side of the road when you see them coming, those Gentiles you would never have in your house, I want you to go and I want you to worship with them and I want you to eat in their homes and I want you to love with them because the gospel brings people together, it doesn't tear them apart. And so God takes, the, takes the, the Pharisee Paul and says, you go and you minister to the Gentiles. That's what God does. There's a couple that sat out here right where you sat two years ago, Jody and Abril Howard. Jody and Abril were missionaries in Mexico. And uh, Jody, Jody grew up in Mexico, his family, a longtime missionaries in Mexico. So he, he's white on the outside, but, but he, is, he is Latino on the inside. And his wife, Abril, is from Mexico. She grew up there. They're both fluent Spanish speakers. They came here for a couple of years, and, and then they felt called of God. You know where they serve now? I don't know. If, if I had two fluent Spanish speakers in Central Texas, it seems pretty good to me to have them right here, wouldn't it to you? So guess where they are? China. <laughs> what? God took them, placed them in China where they're having an effective ministry in, a, in an international school teaching Spanish and teaching the Bible. Isn't that amazing? That's what God does. He takes Paul and sticks him in the middle of the Gentiles and says, enjoy a ham sandwich. <laughs> and he takes Jody and Brill Howard and says, teach the Chinese how to make burritos. <laughs> and when you're doing it, tell them about Jesus. So let me ask you this. Hey, who's God calling you to? He's saying, Gary, I could never go to you fill in that blank. And uh, maybe that's where God wants you to go. He took an Italian, Cajun, New Orleanian who loves seafood and put him in central Texas. And it's like, really? I mean, I got to drive an hour to get to Papados. 
He says, yeah, I'm going to leave you there, not for a year, not for five years, not for 10 years, but for 35 years. In fact, you're not going to go anywhere else. You're going to serve where you are. I say, okay, Lord, I don't always understand your ways, but I'm going to be obedient. And Paul says, hey, I did what God asked me to do. My, my message, my message, it's the same message that the other apostles are preaching. But I want you to know that my life has changed. Look at what he says next. He, he says, when I got saved, verse 17, I didn't go to Jerusalem to, to those who were apostles, but I went away to Arabia. I went and spent time alone with the Lord. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Peter, with Cephas, and I stayed 15 days. Back in Easter, I told you, if there was one conversation I could eavesdrop on in all of human history, it occurs in the last chapter of the book of Luke. It's when Jesus is walking after the resurrection, and there are two guys headed to this little village in Emmaus, and Jesus walks up, and they don't know who he is. You remember what it says there? It says, beginning with the prophets, Jesus began to show himself from the Old Testament to these two disciples. If there's one conversation in all of human history I could eavesdrop on, that was it. If there's a second conversation in all of human history I could be given the privilege to follow up on, it would be this one. Peter meets Paul, and Paul meets Peter for the first time, and for 15 days they're together. Can you imagine what that was like? Hey, Peter, tell me about walking on water. Hey, Peter, tell, tell me about the reconciliation on the seashore. Peter, tell me about our Savior's compassion. Peter, tell me about... Tell me about the Sermon on the Mount. Tell me, tell me about those words of Jesus. Hey, 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 Peter, t- tell, me about, tell me about when, when, when you denied him. And you can hear Peter. I mean, I picture Peter. He's got a radio guy's voice. Hey, Paul, it wasn't too big walking on water. I sunk. <laughs> hey, Paul. Tell me about the Damascus Road deal. And Paul says, I was struck blind. And Peter says, that's the way he does it, just like that. <laughs> I mean, what a conversation. Can you imagine that conversation? And what Paul is saying is, hey, these guys are teaching this false gospel. And I want you to know, look at my life. I'm a changed man. And the gospel, I believe, was Christ alone. And he says, not only that, that they affirm me. Not, not, not only am I apostle, but I was affirmed by the early church fathers. In fact, he, he says, if you drop all the way down to chapter 2, verse 9, he says, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Peter and John, who, who were reputed pillars of the, of the church, gave to me and Barnabas a right hand of fellowship, the right hand of fellowship. We use the words, a, a handshake agreement that comes out of this. It, it's an ancient term saying it's a hand of friendship. It's a hand of contract. It's a hand of acceptance. Our word is our word. And text in the right hand of fellowship is saying, you're one of us. We agree with you. What are they agreeing with? It's quite interesting. If you go back to verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, he says, After 14 years I went to Jerusalem. I took with me Titus and Barnabas, and I went there to make sure that the gospel I was preaching, the same gospel they're preaching. In verse 3 it says, But even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, he, he was a Gentile, he, 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 was, he was not compelled to be so. Even he was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. It was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty. And he says, I want you to know the gospel is not Christ plus anything. The gospel is Christ alone, period. Nothing else. Nothing else. Christ is enough. It's not 
unleaded plus or unleaded plus plus, wherever you have that. It's just Christ. And Titus is my test case. Titus knows Christ. Titus is a Christ follower. And they extended to me the right hand of fellowship. If Titus were compelled to be circumcised and other Gentile believers would be compelled too, and then we wouldn't have freedom from the law, but we do have freedom and that's confirmed in this statement. So Paul is saying this. Well, before I go there, let me, let, let me give you three applications and we'll quit. I've got two minutes. Application number one. If you have given up on somebody coming to faith in Christ, I hope this message encourages you, don't give up. Don't give up. Paul was the least likely person to come to faith in Jesus at that time. I mean, you've got people in your workplace, you've got people in your neighborhood, people in your family, say, they'll never come to Christ. They'll never come to faith in Christ. They're too bad. They're too whatever. And, and what, what we look at Paul's life and say, this guy was actually, there was a safari on Christians and he was leading the safari. He was out to bag Christians, and he miraculously comes to faith. If there's somebody you've given up on, don't give up on them. Two of the books I read last year, if you want two good reads, I've recommended them before. One is Son of Hamas by Mossab Youssef. The other is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Karishi. And uh, both these men, uh, Son of Hamas, the, the guy Mossab Youssef, his father was one of the founders of Hamas. He is a Palestinian Arab who came to faith in Jesus. The other is a, is a tremendous book. N- Nabil Karishi is now Zechariah doing apologetics, and uh, he, he does that, and, and he's just a tremendous scholar who was a uh, devoted uh, a Muslim who came to faith in Jesus. I used this last hour. I got a text from one of our men saying, pray for uh, Nabil. He put out on his uh, Facebook just within the last week that he's been diagnosed with a very aggressive uh, stomach cancer. And his prognosis is grim. He's a young man in his 30s, finishing a PhD at Cambridge right now, and he wants to be an apologetic for the faith of Christ. Sometimes I don't understand the sovereignty of God. That's a man I would keep alive for the next 50 years to preach the gospel to his own people. But it looks like, bar a miracle, he goes to glory. If you've given up on somebody, you start praying and don't give up on them. Secondly, second application. Um... The, the reason Paul shared his story was to convince people the truth of the gospel, not to be in the spotlight, not to receive the approval of man, not to have his ego boosted. He used his story for God's glory. All summer, we had somebody from TBC give their testimony at the end of the service. They used their stories for God's glory. Do you use your story for God's glory? Do people know you're Christ's follower? Do you share who Jesus is in your life? And the third and final application is this. When you realize the gospel of grace and what Jesus has done for you, the spiritual life becomes a not have to, but a want to life. You don't have to serve. You want to serve because you've been redeemed out of this mess. You don't have to give. You don't have to be generous. You want to give because you've been redeemed out of this. You you don't have to love your wife. You don't have to respect your husband. You want to do that because you're a Christ follower and because of what Christ has done for you, you want to do everything you can for him. So it's, it's living the spiritual life out of transformation, not of externally based things. Paul's saying the man is the message and the message is the same among the church leaders that I'm preaching. I'm getting ready to shoot an infomercial. Uh, I've been contacted by a company. I'm going to do an infomercial on hair growth products starting next week. Why do you laugh? 
I mean, you look at this and say, if you are going to sell hair growth products, we're going to run the other way and not buy them, which is understandable because the man is the message. Obviously, they don't work. So let me ask you, what is the message your life is presenting the gospel of Jesus? Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. So simple in some ways and so deep in others. Thank you for Paul, who was saved out of uh, just a reckless lifestyle of persecuting the church, became a Christ follower. Thank you for men like Yusef and, and Nabil. Father, I pray for that man's health. Would you spare him? Use him for your glory among his people. God, I, I pray for these, my friends here. Some have been trusting in their good works. Some have joined churches and that's salvation to them. Some have gone through rites of catechism and baptism and other things and saying, hey, I've, got, I've done these things, therefore I'm okay. Father, would you let them see that salvation, the gospel is faith in Christ alone. Others of us, would we serve you? Feeling like we've got to. Would you show these dear friends that you're pleased with them and now they serve out of a want-to desire? So, Father, we give you great glory this day. In the name of Jesus, we go our way. Amen and amen.